Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. I'm excited to be here today. Um, my parents are here this morning, so they, they, they're right up there. They came to hear Just Do Connections, so, um, but so excited for them. Um, a year ago today, or yesterday, but more, Memorial Weekend, I got to preach for the first time, and it was to this congregation, so it's exciting to be back up here. Um, and... And the, the parallels keep going because this week I had the chance with two seniors who are graduating to help somebody move. So, and I got to do that last year as well. It's just amazing how similar the last few weeks have been. We moved into a house last year about this time we moved into an apartment. So it's, it's been really exciting. We're excited. We've been here a calendar year and, and we're putting roots down in downtown Huntley. Yeah. And it's, it's really funny as I've been reflecting on what we're going to talk about today. We're in Daniel 3. Um, in, in the last two months, I have experienced being powerless in a way that, that I didn't really realize beforehand because we've been house hunting and buying a house, and that was a, a process. Um, it was a fun process at times and a very hard process at others as we as we felt the Lord leading us towards a home, we actually gave up at one point, and then the Lord was really laying on our hearts a very specific home. Um, Jess and I, as we like pursued it, we, we kept having issues where the seller um, had very different expectations than we did, and um, there would be times where he would do something or tell us he did something, and then we'd go in the house and be like, but you didn't do that, and he'd be like, well, yeah, and then our lawyer would be like, well, that's kind of his choice. He can just tell you no. And it, it was a frustrating process, but, but something that came from my reflections of that process is how much I hate being powerless. And I'm sure you guys all feel that sometimes, but also um, when, when I was feeling like things were outside my control, um, what was happening in my heart was this guy only cared about money and, and the bottom dollar, and I wanted to meet him at his level. You're, you're after the last dollar, so we're going to fight you for it. And, and that was my mindset was, I'm, I'm going to win. Like, it, you're, you only worship money. I'm going to take money from you. That was my mindset for a little while in the process. We, we have great wise counsel in our lives, our parents, our pastors. I had a really good talk with Pastor Dan and Pastor Rich that really helped clarify a lot for us. But, but in the process, I just didn't like being powerless. And then when I was powerless, my worship started to shift away from what it should be focused on. Because in this story, the Lord laid on our hearts this home. And when he laid this heart on our homes, it was very clear, or this home on our hearts, it was very clear he was saying to us, I want you guys here, whatever the cost. Because we put in a low offer, the guy laughed at us and said some mean things. And then we eventually put in, he did, um, Beth Manzella is our realtor, she's back there, and she did a wonderful job. Our whole team fought for us, so good job, Beth. Um, but, but I tell you this because in the midst of all of this, we wanted God to do some miracle for us. We wanted the end of this story to be the realtor just all the, like the seller at some point it just clicked in his head and he went, I want to just give them this house. We, that was our, you, you laugh, but we kept waiting for, for God to pull some miracle. But, but what we learned in this story was the God who was saying, I want you to be here was like, man, you're really squabbling over a few dollars. I have blessed you so greatly. Why is this such a hang-up? But I, I think as Christians, sometimes as, as we process and as we, as we feel like we're powerless or as we deal in this world, 
it can be hard for us to keep our worship on the Lord when we sometimes feel powerless or when a wicked unauthority, that seller had all the authority over us. And when he was making the decisions he was, we wanted to match him. We wanted to fight him on his level rather than living the way we should have lived that the Lord had shown us. And so today, as we look, we're going to be looking at why we should take a stand when when wicked rulers or wicked authorities ask us to worship them instead of God or ask us to shift our worship. And to do that, we're going to be in the story of Daniel 3, which is um, it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, VeggieTales lovers. It's Rakshak and Benny. Um, I don't like VeggieTales, though. Um, ask me about it later. I'm not going to talk anymore up here about it. I shouldn't have even mentioned it. But um, I, what I, what I want to start with, Jess is laughing at me because she told me not to talk about it. But this is not actually a story or primarily a story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are players in this story. They, they take action in this story. But this is not a story about them. This is a story about King Nebuchadnezzar taking a stand against God. And, and at the end of this story, my hope is that we will be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in our mindset and in following after God. But my hope is that we will be like them because of what we learn about how God responds when King Nebuchadnezzar takes a stand against him. So we're going to jump into the text in a moment, but first I'd like to pray. Dear Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are the Most High God, that you set rulers and kingdoms in place that you are in control, that you are worthy of all of our worship, and and that you love us and that you deliver us and that you care for us so much. I pray right now that all that um, I say would be your spirit speaking through me and that you would give us all ears to hear the message you have today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're in the story of Daniel 3. And before I jump into King Nebuchadnezzar, just a quick reminder. So in Daniel chapter 1, um, the Israelites, they're, they're in Israel, and then um, the Chaldeans, or the, the Babylonian Empire comes in, and they bring a massive wave of them into exile, into Babylon. They go from God's holy land into the heart of one of the most wicked kingdoms to ever exist. And, and they go into this kingdom, and, and in the midst of that, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go in, and they... They're brought before their, their nobility of some type, their princes, or they're, they're some type of, uh, they're, they're high up people. They're also very intelligent. They're good looking. They're, they're everything you would want in a guy, I think. Um, but they're, they're really these, they're these wise young men. And in the course of their time, they, they raise up and they they gain prestige. And so by, by the time we get to Daniel 3, um, Daniel has been made a, leader in the king's court, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have been made rulers over the province of Babylon, which is the heart of the Babylonian empire. So they have been given a massive amount of power, and they have massive influence. And so that's kind of where our, th- our four Jewish characters come into the story. But now we're going to look at Nebuchadnezzar and what he's doing. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and breadth was 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, and the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the first thing, there is a theme in this. Oh, no, that's next. Um, there is a theme in this story that we're going to see of 
the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And we're going to see that phrase used over and over. And the reason for this, and um, in their culture, um, King Nebuchadnezzar in this story, he is not making a giant statue of himself because that would have been about the most wicked thing he could do by their standards. That would have been the one thing he could do that would get the entire kingdom to revolt against him because he was a man, he wasn't a god. But he was the highest up man. And so when he makes this image, the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, the people would have known that as the image he set up. It's an image of one of the gods. We don't know which god. The text doesn't tell us. But the focus of this in their culture would have been on which king was mighty enough to make the image of this god. So even though it's not directly worshiping a statue of him, it's just worshiping him is what we're going to see as we go. But so, And it's this giant, massive statue. When it says made an image of gold, it's important to note, students, last week we talked about how gold's a soft metal back there. Um, it wasn't made of gold, but it would have been a giant statue that would have been gilded in gold, which is like it's covered and plated in gold. And to do that, they maybe needed a giant furnace. Hint, hint. And and you may be wondering, why did Nebuchadnezzar build this statue? Um, and it's really interesting. I think the answer to that actually occurs in Daniel chapter 2. Now, I'm going to show a lot of text. We're not going to read it all. Um, so in Daniel chapter 2, in, in Daniel chapter 2, um, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And the, the dream Nebuchadnezzar has is of... Um, or he doesn't tell anyone. He says, I want one of my wise men to tell me the dream and then interpret it for me. And, and he asks for this, and no one can do it. And he says, I'm going to kill all my wise men then. I think you're giving me false information and you have your own agendas. I want to know what this dream is and what it's about, or you're all going to die. And then Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they pray, um, they fast. And then over the night, it's revealed to Daniel what the dream is. And then he goes and talks to Nebuchadnezzar, and he reveals the dream to him and interprets it. Um, that interpretation is this wonderful story of this giant statue that's made of four things. The top is gold and then different metals. The bottom's iron. And eventually this giant rock crushes it and the Most High God reigns forever. It's a wonderful story for us today. Um, but in the story, I think King Nebuchadnezzar, and this is why I have so much text, he only heard that little part of it. Um, and what that little part says is, You, O King of Kings, this is Daniel telling him the interpretation, to whom God, the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. And I think what Nebuchadnezzar takes away from this whole story, he appoint, uh, after this story, Daniel's put in a very high position, and so are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But I think all that King Nebuchadnezzar hears here isn't the God of heaven who appointed you. He hears, you're the head of gold. And, and it becomes very clear as we keep looking in this story that Nebuchadnezzar is all about himself and the worship of him or the image that he has set up. And so, so it'll be in yellow the rest of the time. Um, when it mentions the, the satraps, the prefix, the governors, the counselors, all, all seven of those things, there's a quick note. We're going to see seven mentioned a lot of times in this story or seven things listed. Um, that is a number in the culture of completeness. And so when we see that, what it's trying to say is everybody came. This would be like if, if our president wanted to have a dedication of some, something and he said, I want even the postal workers. I want the state senate. I want every judge. Anyone who gets a government paycheck is going to be there. That's the scope of this dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, lastly, I bet you are all wondering what a cubit is. 
And of course, a cubit is about 45 centimeters, and so this is about 2,700 centimeters, or 270 centimeters for the, the width. Um, and that's about 90 feet, or 9 feet. So they laughed more in the first service. I thought it was funny. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, no, but this would have been a massive statue. The, to the ceiling in here is probably about 45 feet. I don't know. I didn't measure it. Gary has like a little digit. 25? Okay, so it's, you'd see like to his knee. I was saying in the last service his waist, but you'd see to his knee in here. That's how massive this statue was. And, and this is a statue that King Nebuchadnezzar just has the ability to make. And so that, that's where we're starting from. And it goes on. So King Nebuchadnezzar says that they all need to come. And then what happens? They come. And, and all these officials, all, all seven of them, or all the seven types, all the types of officials gather for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. That repetition is just reminding us of the power of Nebuchadnezzar and his intention in this story. And then a herald proclaimed, so with the, he's making a proclamation from, for the king, and he says, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages. When it says peoples, nations, and languages, there were the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were Jews, and they were some of the leaders in the provinces. But, but the empire of Babylon was so massive that they had people running the different parts and provinces and different areas of the kingdom from all over the place, from all nations, peoples, and languages that they'd conquered. They were so success, successful as they conquered, and they'd bring people in, and the best and brightest, they would kind of retool into their way of thinking, and then they'd have them go back into their cultures and rule. And that's what we see from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But So when he proclaims, oh, oh peoples, nations, and languages, it's not just three Jews and a bunch of Babylonians. It's, it's a massive conglomerate of people that are showing up in this moment. And that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, so seven, so all the music, when you hear all the music, and you are to fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now, now real quick, when, when I was young and I read this, you know, you know when you go to like a wedding and someone clanks a glass, and then the bride and groom have to kiss? Some of you are aware of that. Um, when I first read this, I thought that there would be something like that where like one of the officials would like blow a trumpet and everyone would be, oh, we got to bow and worship. Um, but really, this is a sign of just the amount of fanfare. They had like an orchestra present. This would have been something where this wasn't just a moment where it was like, okay, we're going to have someone come play a trumpet. They had like a full band with all the glory of all the music and all the art of King Nebuchadnezzar's empire is there for this moment and whoever does not fall down whoever does not fall down and worship the golden image that king nebuchadnezzar has set up whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace that word burning there um it means it's on it's like uh it's they're not going to preheat the oven they have a furnace there that the statue's done, the gold's on the statue, but they kept the furnace going so that when all the people come to worship, if anyone won't worship, if anyone won't fall down and worship, they will be thrown in. And then, yeah, fall down and worship. That's the theme there. Um, they, if, you, if you look at this, the, the theme of falling down and worshiping, um, there, there's a theme. We've been talking about this in Sunday school as we talk about Babylon, but there is a theme throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament of the most evil that man can be 
is when we redefine good and evil. That's what happened in the garden. We redefined the, the fruit was good to eat, even though God said it wasn't. And that led us down this path. King Nebuchadnezzar has so much power and might that he redefines good and evil as, you will worship what I set up or I will kill you. I have the power of life and death. And what I have decided is good is that you will worship what I tell you to worship. And it's not just that, because he has the power to do it and the people do as he says. Because what we see is, therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard, all the instruments, all, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. This is a king with so much power that kind of on a whim he can build this giant statue. And he can command basically his government to go on pause for a while so they can all come dedicate and fall down and worship the image. He has that kind of power. And not only does he have that kind of power, everyone follows suit. Everyone does as he said. Um, I was thinking about this in our government. If you got every single person on both sides of the aisle to bow down to something, it would be like it would be the most amazing thing that could ever happen. It's hard to imagine that, but King Nebuchadnezzar's power was so complete that every single official he had fell down and worshipped the golden image that he set up. Or everyone but three, as we keep going. So therefore, at that time, everyone has bowed down. They've dedicated the image. At that time, certain Chaldeans came forward. And these Chaldeans, um, a Chaldean would have been, a in, the, in their culture, Babylon is this empire that started out a people group called the Chaldeans. And, and they would have gone and they, they began taking over other places and they became this empire of Babylon. And, and they became this massive empire, but, but at like the heart, like the old guard, the people who were like, we're the original people. This is, it's like the person when you, Manny's Gelato just opened up recently and I'm like, I was one of the first people there and I brag about that. They're like those people. They're the people who were there from the beginning. And, and so, so in this story, the, they come up and they said, they go to accuse the Jews. And, and why do they do that? Well, because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this story have been put above them. They've been put in charge of the province and, and a province of Babylon. They're, they're at the center of the government in this place of power. And so the, the Chaldeans have this opportunity. They sense it. And in fact, the text, when it says maliciously accused, um, maliciously accused doesn't translate well to English, but in Aramaic, what this is saying is they ate the pieces of. This is brutal, gruesome Im- in- imagery, and there's a reason for it. It actually, the same imagery shows up in Daniel. At, and the king commanded that those men who had maliciously accused, who had ate the pieces of Daniel. The, the idea that's happening here in the book of Daniel, there's, there's this theme. And it's that, the, that when nations reject the reign of God, when they don't acknowledge the sovereignty of God, they become like beasts, like evil beasts. They become worse than animals. And, and so we see this theme. It happens all through the dreams. Dan talked about that last week. All through these dreams, we see these beasts that rule in wickedness. And, and so in this story, you see that these Chaldeans, they come forward, and it's, it's like they're hyenas, and they found a wound, wounded wildebeest, and they're like, we're going to tear this thing apart. And so they come forward and they declare to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you 
they do not serve your gods or worship the golden images that you have set up. Now, it's really interesting. They're maliciously accusing. They, they sense weakness and they're ready to tear them apart. But everything they say is just absolutely true. The king declared that you're going to do this. This was his decree and they didn't do it. Nothing. They're not even lying here. They're just saying, hey, they're not doing it. And got to take a little side note here. Whenever this story gets taught on, some people always ask, where's Daniel? And um, in chapter 2, at the end of chapter 2, I'm just, quick side note, um, Daniel is given high honors after interpreting the dream. And then at the very last line of chapter 2, it says, but Daniel remained at the king's court. So what, what's happening here is this dedication takes place far away from the king's court. And so Daniel would have stayed there to run the affairs of the king. So when we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow down, um, we don't need to say, but did Daniel? Because he didn't. But so they, they come forward and they accuse Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and everything they say is true. And the king out of this is furious. He has furious rage, and he commands that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. And they're standing before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? So is it true? He's, he's asking, he's kind of confused here. He's like, I, there's got to be something going on. Is it true that you guys are not going to bow down? You're not going to fall down and worship? And then, and then it's like, like uh, in the last service uh, we were talking, or as I was sharing this, I, it's, it's almost like they were in the bathroom or something when he made the decree and then they came out and everyone's bowing down. That's, that's what King Nebuchadnezzar thinks. He thinks they must be so far back that they can't even hear or something, because there's no way they wouldn't bow down if they heard. And so he says, now if you are ready, so, so maybe you didn't hear before, but now, if you're ready, I'm going to give you another shot. Even though I said I will immediately throw you in the furnace, I'm going to give you another shot. Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And he says one more thing here. And, and, and I talked about, I think this is a story of Nebuchadnezzar taking a stand against God. And this is the moment because Nebuchadnezzar says to him, and who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? This is the moment of this text where Nebuchadnezzar says, I have this might. I have made this image. I have commanded this. This is good to do if you are in my kingdom. If you do not, not do what I say, I will kill you. And who can deliver you from my hands? What God can do that? Nebuchadnezzar, in, the, they, in their culture, they, they had many gods. They were polytheistic. They had, they had all these different gods that they worshipped. And Nebuchadnezzar, with this statement, is saying, I am above every god. I'm above the god of Daniel that revealed the dream. I'm above all the gods that we worship because none of them can save you from my hand. That's the kind of power he has. And, and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond. And I love this. Cause, so he like brought them forward to clarify. He's like, maybe you guys didn't hear. Is it true that you're really not going to bow? And then their response to him is, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. They're basically saying, why didn't you take us to the furnace already? Why are we talking about this? They're, they're challenging him with this and saying, you know, you're, you're wondering why we're not, but we're wondering why we're not burning already. That, that's kind of the tone of this, is that they're basically saying, we're not going to talk to you about this. We don't need to talk to you about this. If you want to talk to us about this, great, but we're not going to change our minds. 
If this be so, if you're going to throw us in the furnace immediately, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. So they are confident that their God can rescue them from the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. But if not, those are my favorite three words in this story. But if not, even our God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, Even if he does not deliver us, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. It's it's so, so amazing. It gives me chills to say it because... Be, I, a lot of times as Christians, I, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mention VeggieTales one more time. Um, in the story of VeggieTales, they say, if you stand for God, God will stand for you. And, and that is ultimately true because, because Jesus died on the cross for us, he has defeated death, and those of us who believe in him are ultimately delivered. But in this life, us standing for God is not a compromise of God, we will stand for you if you back us up in this moment. That's not what it is because there's martyrs. There's the persecuted church all around the world who are standing for God. And when they stand for God, they are not necessarily saved. There wouldn't be martyrs if every time someone stood for God, they were saved. The the reality of this statement and the reality of their faith in this moment is that we are confident in the God who is above you, Nebuchadnezzar, whether or not we are saved. And that is what we need to take first off from this story, is that there is a God above Nebuchadnezzar that they are confident they can be rescued from the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. And and there's, there's more to this story, because after they say this, Nebuchadnezzar is filled with fury. He goes from furious rage to just filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That expression of his face, it means before he had favor for them, when he brought them before him, he's almost incredulous. He's like, there's no way they're not going to worship me. And now he's like in fury. He's like, if they're not going to worship me, I'm going to bring my worst at them. He's like doing like a major like flex of his power here. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Now in their day, the furnace would have been heated at about 1300 degrees Fahrenheit and their technology wouldn't have been able to take them above 2600. That's a nerdy side note, but, but the point behind it is when he says this, he's not saying get the temperature to to a certain time, seven times hotter. What he is really saying is throw everything in the fire to maximize the heat. And this fire would have been heated with sticks and with everything they could have and even tar. In their culture, they had tar that they would have been burning. And so, so this would have been a giant fire with smoke just billowing out. And, and so he says seven times hotter, bring, bring everything you can into this moment. And then on top of that, he, he orders mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Mighty men, if, if you've ever read through like First Kings or Samuel where da- they talk about David's mighty men, um, they're, in their culture, there would be men that, that weren't just physically imposing, but they were men that won battles. They were the top soldiers who proved over time how amazing and powerful they were. And so King Nebuchadnezzar says, I don't just need soldiers. I need the most physically imposing, successful men in my army to come and bind them. King Nebuchadnezzar is showing all of the might of his, all of the might technologically and all of the might of his army in this moment. And he is saying, you want to, you think you can be delivered from my hands? No, you haven't seen how powerful my hands are. 
And, and he sends them to throw them into the burning, fiery furnace. And the men were bound, and they're still wearing their outfits, their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The fire was so hot that the mighty men of King Nebuchadnezzar are killed just walking up to it to toss these Jews in. And, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go to toss them, but then they, they die because of the heat of the flame, and so they wind up falling in, bound. They're, they're tied up as they fall into the furnace. And, and then the story, there's a miracle that happens. Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rises up. He's, he's probably sitting there thinking, well, I'm glad that's over with. And then he looks, and all of a sudden there's four people walking in the furnace. And, and he's astonished, and he declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he said, but I see four men unbound. We bound them. Now they're unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. And so he sent them into that fire with all of his power, all of his military might, all of everything he had to kill them. And now they're walking around in the midst of what was his device to kill those who would not worship him. And... I need to make a quick side note. Uh, as I was preparing, a lot of people ask, who is that fourth person? A lot of people think that that is Jesus. Um, I'm going to be real careful. It maybe is. But what I want to say is that the Bible doesn't say it is. The, the expression, the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods, is a common expression for an angel in their culture. And on top of that, later on, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants. It doesn't change the story a whole lot, but it's just a note, because a lot of people hear that and think it must be Jesus walking with them. I don't think so. Just a side note. But um, So then Nebuchadnezzar, remember the mighty men, um, they... They thrown the, or they tried to throw, they wind up, wound up dying, and Nebuch- or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fell in. Nebuchadnezzar comes near the door of the furnace. He comes near the door of what has killed these men because he's so astonished. And he walks up and calls to them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together. And they saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. So, so at the start of this story, King Nebuchadnezzar gathered the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and all the king's counselors. He gathered them together in order to worship the image that he had created. And now at the end of this story, the God in heaven, the most high God will be worshiped because these people are now gathering to see how these Jews have been rescued from the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar. That's amazing. And not only are they rescued, the hair on their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. In our new home, we have a charcoal grill for the first time since we have been married. And I have been grilling like a madman. Um, and it is the most wonderful thing. Um, but every day, Jess is like, man, you smell. And so I have to shower. But, but that's just from a little bit of charcoal and a little Weber thing. Imagine they were in this giant furnace that was used for smelting giant pots of gold. And they come out and you can't even smell the fire. There's no evidence of anything from the power of Nebuchadnezzar on them. They're not bound and everything about them. God doesn't just have the power to save them. He has the power to save their clothes. 
That's so amazing. He has the power to save water because they don't need to take a bath after this. It's just this amazing story of God's power. And, and in the same way that Nebuchadnezzar showed all his might, God responds by showing such a precision of just saving them. The other mighty men weren't saved. The men who threw them in. It, God shows a precision that trumps the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said after he saw all this, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their, their bodies rather than serve or, and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any na- people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So at the start of this story, they were in a position of prominence. and Now they're in a higher prominence. In the start of the story, King Nebuchadnezzar gathered people to worship him. And at the end, he makes a decree that you can't speak against this other God. You can't speak against this most high God. It's this amazing story. And for us, church, the the first idea out of this story that we need to remember is to stand like they stand. Even if God doesn't back us up in the moment, even if we face consequences for standing for our faith, we should still stand no matter what. And and I, I think about there even sometimes God will deliver, sometimes he won't, but that's not the big idea of this story. It's not if God doesn't deliver, he doesn't like you or you didn't stand well enough. There's a bigger idea here of we should serve this most high God because of what he is able to do. I, I have one of my adult leaders that recently we were talking and he and his boss were having some real troubles at work and his boss was asking him to do some things that he felt like were very not necessarily dishonest, but they were starting down a path that he wasn't really comfortable with. He was asking, being asked to sell things that were maybe not what was needed. There, were, there was a lot of things that wound up being miscommunication. But for about two weeks, he was asking me, what should I do? And for me, I mean, I, I can tell him easily, well, you should stand, you should confront him and say, I'm not going to do these things, because that's easy for me to say. But, but as we talked, he mentioned, well, this, you know, I... I want to do right by this guy. He took a chance on me. And, and as we kept talking, he, he mentioned, he's like, well, what if I get fired? And, and we kind of processed back and forth. And, and it got to a point where he realized as he was praying, you know what, even if I get fired, I need to confront this man because I don't want my integrity and my character to be taken away. I don't want my worship to focus on something besides the Most High God. And, and in that moment when he went and confronted his boss, it turned out that it was not an issue of, uh, the guy wanted him to do stuff. It was some major miscommunication. And as, or, or at least that's what it turned out to be. And as they talked, a miraculous thing happened. Because as he told his boss why he wasn't willing to do some of those things, his boss's response was kind of a, yeah, that all makes sense. What about this God thing? Can you tell me a little bit more about your church? And all of a sudden, this young man who was willing to take a stand for his faith, that could have that the end result could have been he was fired. Instead, he was able to tell this man about the God whom he serves. And, and that's not always the outcome. The outcome can be very different. The outcome can be you get fired. The outcome, outcome can be you become a social outcast. But, but whatever happens, it is worth the cost because of the Most High God we follow. And, and as we finish, I remember I said this isn't a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
Because we, we want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but the reason that they are able to do what they do is because they have a deep understanding of the Most High God. Because when we look at this story, what happens at the end of this story is that Nebuchadnezzar, who takes a stand against God and says, who can deliver you from my hands, acknowledges that God. And, and it, he doesn't, I, if, if we use like the term become a believer, he doesn't really do that there. But chapter 4 of Daniel, I'd encourage you to read it this week. Chapter 4 of Daniel is the story from King Nebuchadnezzar's mouth. He issues a decree and a, writes a letter that winds up in the Hebrew Bible where he talks about the Most High God that is above all gods. He worships that God. It's his testimony. Daniel chapter 4 is the testimony of a pagan king who worships a Most High God. And so the reason that we should stand like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is because there is not a ruler in heaven or on earth or under the earth. There is not anyone that is in a position that is not set there by a sovereign God. And so for us today, we can take heart in the fact that whenever we are put in a situation where we might need to take a stand, God is over that person from whom we need to take the stand. God reigns supreme. And he will reveal himself to those rulers. King Nebuchadnezzar has no one in his life who can tell him anything because he reigns. He can do whatever he wants and it doesn't matter. Because God reigns over him and he reveals himself to Nebuchadnezzar the way he can reveal himself to anyone in our lives. Any authority over us is still subject to God. I'm going to close. I'm going to read just a little bit from the start of Daniel 4. Um, It's really beautiful. I'd encourage you to go home and read it or read it this week. Um, But So this is the start of Daniel 4. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar speaking, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Church, we should take faith because one of the most pagan kings in the history of the world wrote this and declared this to the people's nations and languages that he had influence over. We serve a mighty God who reigns over any kingdom, any principality, anything that we deal with, God reigns over it. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you reign. We thank you that you are so mighty. You are the most high God. You are the God in heaven who sets kings in power. Kings come and go at your command, but you will always reign. We thank you that someday those of us who believe in you will be delivered and will, or we have been delivered, but we will reign with you in heaven. We thank you that your kingdom is good. We thank you that you are good and that we can follow after you. I pray that we would be those who would stand for you, whether or not we are immediately backed up, but, but we would see your reign in such a way that we would follow after you regardless of the consequences. We thank you for your word and for just the ways you reveal yourself to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.